I don't deserve water. <laughs> I haven't been good this year. <laughs> From CSG Studios, high above the streets of beautiful Denver, Colorado, you're listening to the Colorado Sports Guys. They talk about sports and stuff. And now your hosts, Jeff Morton, Ross Martin, and Nate Timmons. What's up, everybody? Ross, hipsters, glasses, Martin is out on assignment. We sent him to Memphis. He's filling up on barbecue, but with me... As always, making his way all the way down here from Thornton, the king himself, Jeff Morton. Welcome to the Colorado Sports Guys podcast, where the West lives. On and on and on. Yes, since Ross isn't here. Uh, so, Nate, how's it going? Good, man. We're we're down to the the final seven games of the Denver Nuggets NBA season. We're definitely going to talk some some Nuggets hoops. Uh, we got to watch the Houston Rockets make a miraculous comeback tonight against the Cleveland Cavaliers without LeBron James. Down by 13 heading into the fourth quarter, and the Rockets somehow won that game because they want to give their draft pick to the Denver Nuggets. I think so. I think it was, uh, it was a good sign. It was an omen. And, uh, an you know, omen. It's, it's, uh, you know, we've got a, a route for the Rockets to win, and uh, there are some who say that the, the Nuggets need to lose their last seven. <laughs> well, I think <laughs> any fan... Wants the Nuggets to go zero and seven. They want that to happen, but the problem is the team has not given any indication and has actually said on record that they're not going to try to. They couldn't actually say that in public anyway. Well, I, I believe uh, you asked him directly. Yeah, I think I think Paul. No, Clean no, no. Paul Clay asked him. Asked him. We played right, a yeah. bit on the podcast last week with, with right. Sandy Clough, uh, where Malone was just saying, you know, obviously they don't believe in tanking. Uh, what does it matter to them how many ping-pong balls they get? Even if you have the most ping-pong balls, does that guarantee that you're going to win this thing? No, it doesn't. So well, you just, what are you going to do? You don't want to give yourself a better chance. But, uh, yeah, I just don't see that. I don't think that's in the cards. I don't think uh, cre- even creative tanking, as advocated by some, <laughs> is in the cards either. I think they just – that's not wired the way Michael Malone is wired. He's, yeah. He's uh, – he wants to win. It was, it was our friend and Jeff, your colleague at Denver Stiffs, Adam Mars, who wrote the, the column today, looking at such a, a close situation going on you know, with a lot of these teams in the Western Conference. Let me pull up Tankathon real fast. One of the greatest websites ran by one man, Tankathon. Tremendous work, always updated standings, always updated where the picks are going to go. Beautifully done. But, I mean, you do have that. You have those teams globbed up, right? You have the Pelicans, the Kings, the Nuggets, the Knicks, the Bucks and the Magic all sitting in between 43 to 46 losses. So that's where the conversation comes in of, okay, how can you try to improve your odds? How can you try to get up there? Maybe Denver can can climb up to the, the seven spot, maybe flip-flop with Sacramento, with either the Knicks or themselves. But I don't think New Orleans is going to be winning too many more games this year. Yeah, they, they basically are fielding a D-League team right now, aren't they? Matt Moore had tweeted out a picture of their roster with X's on all the players that aren't playing, and this should give you some understanding. I, I think Jordan Hamilton is playing a role with the Pelicans right now. And he was and basically out of the league. He's on a 10-day contract at the moment. So New Orleans is definitely not trying to win. The Nuggets have given all indications that they want to season, finish the season on the right foot, on the right note. So hopefully that springboards guys 
in the off season and then heading into next season, give them some hope for, you know, what, what, what should be a, a better second season under Michael Malone. We're always looking for the next guy. And sometimes that guy's on the roster. Sometimes he's not, but uh, some, at some point you got to stop looking at what's next and look at what's you have. And, you know, that looks like the Nuggets aren't gunning for that high spot. They, so, they had every opportunity to do so, and they're not doing it. We only have one shot at the lottery, so I'm going to sim it right now on Tinkathon and see if, see if the Nuggets move up. All right, do it. Here we go. No. <laughs> Nuggets stayed at eight. <laughs> stayed in the eighth spot in what is probably a five- or six-player draft. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah, I mean, it, it, if Denver really wanted to – to get moving on, on a better pick, they would have had to have done so in, you know, January on that homestand, February on that, that homestand they had recently. It was that March or February. They went 5-2. and two. Um, Now, the Nuggets have been... 0-7 um, oh there would have, would have been something. The Nuggets have been blessed and cursed by a really soft schedule since about the end of February. And it's just the Nuggets have struggled against good teams but they haven't played many good teams. And they've played a bunch of teams that are either tanking out or struggling at the moment. Or injured. To and it's just it just it's the way the cards have been and falling right now. But um, the Nuggets haven't exactly... They, the Nuggets haven't been playing well. Okay, let me put you this way. They lose against the good teams over 500 teams. And they win against the teams who are in their area or lower. I mean, they pounded the Lakers. Um, they got beat by Orlando. They got beat by Orlando. Um, and that was when they were on their five-game road trip. Beat Charlotte. They beat Charlotte, which was the only above 500 team they've beaten the last 20 games. They beat Washington. Are they, Wa- Washington's I not above 500. <laughs> Los Angeles, <laughs> definitely not. Uh, the Clippers on uh, February 24th. Clippers at February 24th, but... Uh, the last team they've beaten over 500? Where's Dallas? Mm-hmm. Dallas has got to be sitting right around. Dallas is two games below, aren't they? A bunch of garbage. Well, so they have coming <laughs> up. They still have they have Memphis and New Orleans, and, uh, and that's a two road games. Uh, the New Orleans game is the second night of a back-to-back. They come home. They have George Carl and the Kings for the last time. Uh, so Memphis, I don't, I don't know. Memphis is a toss-up game to me because their roster is garbage. Uh, New Orleans and Sacramento... Those are probably toss-up games. I could see Denver easily winning at least one of those, if not both, if DeMarcus Cousins doesn't play. Uh, then they have Oklahoma City uh, at home. They have San Antonio at home, which the Spurs seem to have, I don't know if they'll play anybody in that game because they're pretty much the two-seed, period. Uh, then they have Utah, and then they close out the season, of course, in Portland against the Blazers, and that game could come down to the Nuggets. Actually, having tanked that one to get a draft pick. If something, could. something goes bad for Portland. I could very well do that. I mean, it's and that's one of the questions I've been getting on Twitter. A lot of them have to do with the Nuggets draft positioning. Where will they be? What will they do with the said draft position? Uh, I've been writing a column on Stiffs where I've been taking your Twitter questions, and I, I kind of asked today um, uh, for your, uh, you know, if you guys had any questions for us. And a couple I got, and they're basically – Along the lines of what we've been talking about um, with draft positioning, uh, Evan Fiala said, uh, would love to hear your thoughts on the Nuggets offseason. Will they make a move in free agency or what a healthy roster can do? I think that kind of ties into what the Nuggets are going to do with the draft because everything starts with that and then moves down. Um, I, I think that 
you were on a two-pronged thing here. The Nuggets are on a draft thing, and they also are on a what are they going to do with the guys on their roster? What are they going to do with the Jokic and Nurkic, as we point, talked about last week? What are they going to do with the, all these guys? But at the same time, who are they going to draft? What I mean, they are in kind of in that pot spot in the lottery as currently they are, where it's kind of like you don't you know you're taking your chances. You don't know what you're going to get at that point. Yeah, you you don't really know, but I mean, we've obviously been watching tournament games. To me, all right. So let, let's get into talking about some of these these players or prospective players that could be coming here. But I want to lead into it with with talking about uh, Jonathan Abrams' book, uh, Boys Among Men. Uh, he's got a terrific book out that, that, that covers the prep to pro kind of craze that happened um, in between Kevin Garnett and, and basically Dwight Howard. Got into some early stuff with Moses Malone and some players that, that came out in the 70s, but the main string here and the thing that is, is most important to me is look at some of these, these prep to pro guys. There's been Kevin Garnett, Kobe Bryant, Tracy McGrady, uh, Jermaine O'Neal, Al Harrington, Richard Lewis. You know, you get into LeBron James, even J.R. Smith, uh, Dwight Howard. And amongst these guys, just those guys listed a short sample size there, what's the one common thread amongst those guys, most of those guys? Some of those guys are the, are the greatest players to ever play in the NBA, and, and all of those guys basically have incredible work ethics. They were able to, to go from high school to the NBA and succeed, which after reading this book and looking at all the obstacles and everything that stands in their way is, is remarkable. And when you're looking at these college players, I mean, there's so many of us that are, you know, couch scouts. We watch these games. We think we know these players, but the one thing that you never know is their mentalities and their mindsets and how they're going to work. So we can look at a guy's talent and think it's undeniable. You know, there's, there's been hundreds of guys that have undeniable talent but don't have the mental makeup and these these guys that abrams wrote about the success stories all have that mental makeup of they weren't going to lose they weren't going to be busts they were going to succeed how do you find that guy in this draft i mean that's that's the impossible question that i think is as we've talked about before you know if the nuggets identify that guy yeah and he's not in their reach but they feel like they can go get him this, that's where you need to make sacrifices. Yeah, but at the same time, it's like you look at the Nuggets roster, and I, I made this point to you before we, we uh, began our podcast today, is like one of the reasons that uh, Minnesota was able to get Andrew Wiggins was because they had Kevin Love. And the Nuggets don't have Kevin Love on the roster. The Nuggets, even if they piece things together, don't have anything that amounts to Kevin Love on the roster. And if you're going to try to make a trade for a superstar, the Nuggets have a roster that is like the Knicks of 2011 that basically traded the entire core for one guy. I think where the Nuggets are at, it'll be difficult, even with their acquired picks, to make a move. I'm kind of looking at a Boston of last year situation where they had a bunch of picks they wanted to unload and couldn't do it, and they ended up dra- drafting Rozier. Terry Rozier, right? Yeah. He eats uh, spaghetti and sugar sandwiches. <laughs> he made it on the starter show. I mean, God. Delicious. I mean, uh, that's rotting my insides as I'm even <laughs> thinking about that. Um, so it's, it's going to – whatever the Nuggets can do at the draft or whatever they, wherever they're positioned, it's going to be difficult. They're kind of in a draft or die 
mode, I think. They they really have to go for what a is, guy what in the draft. draft or die mean? A draft, basically draft, they're going to have to draft or nothing. I don't think there's other options. And if they, they're going to have to do what they can to move up, I don't think it'll, they'll be able to. But they're going to, ha- as you were saying, they're going to have to try. But I'm, 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 but I guess what I'm saying is I'm skeptical that this particular draft and the and the picks and the the combination the players and Nuggets have will be sufficient to do that sort of thing. So let's say things ended today, uh, and the Nuggets didn't move up. They'd have the eighth pick, the fifteenth pick from Houston, and then the twentieth pick from Portland. Or excuse me, the seventeenth pick from Portland. The twentieth pick is the Memphis one that would not convey. Uh, in this scenario. So they'd have 8, 15, and 17. Maybe you could take 8 and 15 and move up to 6. Maybe you could take 15 and 17 and move up to 12 or 11 or 13, you know, if there is a secondary player that you really liked. But, yeah, could you take 8, 15, and 17 and move up to 2? I don't think so. Not in this draft. Not with where 8 is positioned. You know, you're basically looking at, you know, Simmons, Ingram, Buddy Heald, Chris Dunn, Jamal Murray, Dragon Bender if he stays in. And after that, I mean, that's, that's the cream of the crop of this draft. You can talk about Ivan Robb and what he'll do, Jalen Brown and what he'll do, Domitas Sabonis and what he may be able to do, but the cream of the crop is one, two, three, four, five, six guys. If that. If that. It's six guys. If, it's, if Dragon Bender doesn't stay in, it's five. But he's to me, he's the big question mark this year, right? So you're the eighth pick in a five-player draft. Why would a team that has, you know, picks two through four or five, why would they trade back to eight and draft yeah. a role player? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> it, it is just... The difference in salary is not that much different from two to eight. So you're, you'd be basically be taking way less talent to move back in the draft. Unless you started adding in... Well, what about Yusuf Nurkic? And then you're like, well, why would you mortgage your future that much unless you really... And if, But again, if you really believed in a guy, let's say they, they targeted Brandon Ingram as being the guy they had to get and they made a deal for him, no matter what the cost was, you'd have to trust the front office to, to think that, okay, they see something in this guy that they think is a can't miss. Well, it, Couldn't in, fault him for that. I it, couldn't. In this scenario... You basically have the Lakers and the and the Seventy Sixers as the two teams that are basically have the biggest chances, and they will either get a top three or top four pick, most likely both of those teams. Um, would the Lakers, if they got the number two pick, trade for the eighth pick and Yusuf Nurkic, or eighth pick and the fifteenth pick and Yusuf Nurkic? I don't know if uh, the Philly, if the Phillies, if the uh, if Seventy Sixers got it, would they do the same? I don't think so. Yeah, they. I mean, they they couldn't. <laughs> they couldn't. <laughs> if you get a top two pick in this draft, you take the guy. But the question to me is, all right. So after after Simmons and Ingram, who I think are hundred percent one and two, and no matter what order they go in, who's three? Who's three? In the, has Buddy Hield played his way up to the third pick in this draft? Boy, that's a good question. Because people really paid a lot of attention to the tournament. And the tournament, people like to see what play. I think the tournament is overvalued, but people do like to see what you do in pressure situations. 
and they people do enjoy and you get more exposure when you're in that situation. Buddy Heald has definitely had his stock risen. I don't think he's a top five pick though. And it's tough to say with him too because it's like, all right, well, uh, I think somebody did a breakdown. I believe it was Jonathan Tarks for the Ringers newsletter that had talked about. Well, look at Buddy's competition so far. He hasn't he hasn't played any real premier defenders even this season, especially not in the tournament. But he may in this this next these next two games if they make it, you know, all the way to the title game. There's some bigger wing players coming up. That he's going to have to face that might give you a better sense. But knowing front offices, they do so much of their homework throughout the entire season. They're not basing stuff off what uh, couch scouts are doing and watching the tournament, right? I mean, they're not only going to watch their entire season. If Buddy Heald, they've had footage of him for four years. They're going to talk to him. They're going to work him out. They want to see what his mindset is. And, you know, has he played himself up? I, I don't know if he's played himself up that high. I mean, I still, I still would take Jamal Murray ahead of him. The Canadian, the Ontario, <laughs> Ontario kid. Who's that kid from North Carolina? Bryce Johnson. Bryce Johnson. What do you think of him? I don't know. He's a, if Denver took him with the 15th pick, I'd be okay with it. Do you think he's mid late lottery? Maybe. Maybe. I'd heard, or I'd heard some podcasts talking about his maturity issues at North Carolina. I don't know how much of that's going to factor in. You know, is he just a, you know, a four-year guy that's benefited from being at North Carolina for four years, or can he actually has he put stuff together? Has he matured? And again, I mean, that's the kind of the question. You know, what does he do as a as a six-nine power forward that basically plays around the paint? Well, it's interesting too because uh, you got the four-year thing with Buddy Heald too, right? Exactly. And there's generally been a stigma against four-year players. Um, you would think it would be the opposite. As much as the NBA bitches about about the age limit, you would think that they would be giving affording more, you know, deference to someone who stayed in college for four years. But actually, believe it or not, there's more of a stigma for a four-year player, specifically one who didn't really blossom until this year. Yeah, I mean, even even last year they said if he came out, he'd probably be a second-round pick. Yeah. And his, his numbers, I mean, just looking at his shooting numbers have gone up exponentially. But look at a guy like C.J. McCollum with the Blazers. Yeah. Look at Will Barton with the Nuggets. Yeah. I mean, these guys are obviously a little bit older than, than Buddy, at least in Will Barton's case. But, you know, you can still – there is a lot of time where you can make a jump from, you know, hopefully – Hopefully with Moutier as an example, hopefully you can make a huge jump from 20 to 25. I mean, there's yeah. a lot of time in there to play. Should you penalize a guy because he's making that jump in college and not in the NBA? I don't, I don't necessarily think so. Well, see, I agree with that too, but, I mean, there is that, that associated with it. It's the four-year guy syndrome is what they call it. Even I think Dwayne Wade suffered because of that in, in his draft. Yeah, 2003. Yeah. It was there four years of Marquette, you know. Just him and Steve Novak. Knowing what you knew now about Dwayne Wade, should the Nuggets have taken him instead of Carmelo? Of course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Carmelo was the, the much younger player at that point yeah, in time. Yeah, exactly. He yeah, was yeah. the freshman. And then, you know, and, and, and that is the, that's why I, people, I always give me shit for this, but quite frankly, the, the, the draft is more of an art than a, than a science. There's no, I mean, real Unless you go with a can't lose, like a Tim Duncan. When Tim Duncan came out in 97, everyone knew he was the guy. He had that ability. It was just there's something about him. Everyone knew. Same thing with LeBron. I mean, they're just guys that you know will be that. Most drafts don't have that. 
most drafts are more of a, you know, I don't want to say Michael Oluwa Candy, but there's players like yeah. that at the top of the draft. So you have to be more nuanced. And, and Tim Conley himself has talked about that on this podcast. Oh, he's, he's definitely talked about making uh, what he's called educated mistakes. Yes. Yeah, that's one of his favorite phrases. And, and at some point, that's the other scary part about the Nuggets is you're like, all right, so they've hit on basically every draft pick that they've kept outside of perhaps Eric Green, who is a fringe NBA player, yeah. who they took, what was it, 46th? It was really late second round. So, I mean, you know, you, I, I wouldn't count that as a bad pick. I mean, he could be on the team under some different circumstances. Yeah. But when you when you look at what the Nuggets have done, okay, they've got Nurkic, Harris, uh, Joffrey, whether or not you believe in his game, and then uh, Nikola Jokic, and Moutier. So if you play the law of averages, are they bound to miss in this draft? Are they bound to take a bad player because they've found so many productive ones? Well, uh, you know, of course, let's not wish that on them. But <laughs> No, not at all. But, I mean, I've, I've thought about that of how many, how many guys can they get right? Well, you know, you have to trust your scouts, and this is where scouts come in. And and there is the you have to trust the guys who are on the. I hate using this phrase, but boots on the ground. You've got to trust the guys who who, who have been around and seen these guys. And and Tim Conley, to his credit, spends a lot of time himself scouting college players. Okay, Conley. There's also Jim Klibanoff, who's Jim Klibanoff. A, a very well respected uh, scouting expert. Uh, Herb Livesey, who's been doing it for absolutely decades. Absolutely. And in Europe, they got Raffle Juke, um, and they've got Arturis Konosovas, and they've got a network that is really impressive. Got a scouting. lot of numbers guys now. Yeah, with some floating some around some analytics departments with the Nuggets. Yes. So there's. I, it's just it's. You just have to be able to trust those people that they can give you the most information you need. But at the end of the day, it's still, uh, it's still an art. So especially where the Nuggets will likely be at eight or right in that area, seven, eight, right in that area, you just kind of got to go with your gut. You know, you can have all the information available, but you still, it's like there's a lot of guys who are in the same area, you know? And the, the thing that sucks is, okay, I mean, I think the best the Nuggets can do on their own is seven. And seven is still on the outside looking in yep. at the cream of the crop of whatever this draft class turns out to be. But do you have any guys that you've been watching that have caught your eye? Do you have any are you playing any favorites so far? Well, like in that, in that position or just in general? But just in general. You know, see, I'm one of the last Bill and uh, Bill Simmons. I'm one of the last Ben Simmons believers. Yeah, and yeah. Let's talk about those two because you've yeah. had you've been uh, defending Ben Simmons. Yeah, quite a bit. I, I to be I honest, I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest with you, I think yes, he has attitude issues. Yes, there's all there's all that. Is I, that a I, bad thing though? Did Kobe Bryant have attitude issues? I I look at yeah, and I I look at him and I see there's so much talent there. He's just you. I mean, even though I'm not convinced that if he came out, say, last year and he was older, I'm not convinced he would be at the top of the draft like he is now. I think he's just benefiting from a weaker draft. But say, like, with this season, you just look at him and you say, this guy's really talented. That's just he passes, you know, I hate to use this expression, he passes the eye test. He's a really good passer. Well, there's a great, there's a great line, and, and again, I'm, 
been reading Abram, Abram's book, so a lot of this is fresh in my head, but there is one scout in particular, or maybe he was a GM or something, that said he would take his wife with him on some trips or show her some footage and say, who's the best player on the floor? And yeah. more often than not, she would point to the guy that he was there to see, and he'd be like, that's how you, you know, maybe there's not that much of a uh, trick to scouting. Yeah. You know I mean? If, yeah. you, if you put Ben Simmons on the floor, like you're saying, you put him on the floor in most instances, and you, you I mean, that Oklahoma LSU game, Ben Simmons was the second best player on the floor. Yeah. I mean, there's, that's, the talent is undeniable. Uh, he is obviously an extremely talented person. Obviously, at the same time, you worry about all the other stuff. That is going to be, I mean, but I, I posed this, and I, people still haven't given me a good, a, a good answer. If he went to Kentucky, what, how different would it be? And then you can also say, but his choice was to not go to Kentucky. His choice was to go to LSU. <laughs> but I don't, I don't definitely, I don't, I don't, I don't want to penalize a guy because he chose to try to go make something happen at a school. That's kind of cool in my book. Yeah. I mean, it's like when Billups went to CU. I don't know exactly what the reasons were, if it was true that Paul Pierce took his scholarship at Kansas and committed before he did so he couldn't go there, or if he just chose to go to CU because whatever reason it was, I thought it was cool he was there and that he elevated that program yeah. to a certain degree. Shaq yeah. did it at LSU, I guess, because they paid him a, a ton of money at some point. But I don't mind guys you know, bucking the trend of going to these – uh, basketball schools and, and trying to do their own thing somewhere. So I don't fault Simmons for that, although it does. You do kind of go, what was the motivation behind it? Exactly. Was it to stand out on his own or was it to? And then he signed with Clutch Sports. Yeah. And then he, which is LeBron's, this is Rich Paul, his agency, LeBron's agent. Um, and then he, he dropped out of school as soon as the basketball season was over, and he had terrible grades there, you could tell the only he's a, he's an Australian living in United States who knows he has great talent, and the, all, the only reason he went to school was so he can move on to the next level. That's it. Yeah. The thing is, as much as and this is something that the other side of this coin that people need to look at, as bad as the publicity was around him. He's undeniably at least the two pick in the draft. Yeah. He ain't falling that far. Right. Yeah, not at all. And, and the other guy, I've been more of a Ingram fan for a Nuggets-specific scenario because I think he, he would fill a role for the Nuggets that they desperately need. As I was speaking in general, by the way. Let me, let me interject. I was speaking in general. As far as a quote-unquote fit for the Nuggets, if we're going to go that direction, Ingram is better for the Nuggets. I don't, I don't know exactly. Like I don't, I don't think Simmons, you know, for all the talk of how he didn't shoot threes and, you know, I was hearing some talk today about how he played more uh, face up and, and faced the basket more at the beginning of the year and kind of went away from that towards the end of the year, was willing to play more on the outside. And, you know, that kind of stuff can be corrected. And it can be corrected with coaches and with, with staffs and teammates. And But my deal with, with, with Ingram, or maybe we'll stay on Simmons for a second. My, my thing is with him, if you are concerned about, attitude or motivation this or that that always comes down to the player themselves they have to be the one that wants to put in the work that wants to do it but going to a situation where you have guys around that you know push you and make that happen again i'll I'll bring up abram's book there's great examples in there of a a few different players i don't want to spoil it all but there's a few different players that went to situations uh and we all know this one al harrington talks about it all the time 
Yeah. You know, he talks about going to Indiana and being in these shooting contests with, with Reggie Miller and, and even Chris Mullen. And then, you know, he lived with Antonio Davis his first year in his basement yeah. with his wife and his kids. And it was like, you know, they, Davis was 30 years old at the time and kind of took him under his wing. When you look at Denver and you see that, you know, maybe they bring back D.J. Augustine. I don't know if they do or not. Uh, Jameer Nelson has been a guy that's been a, a steady veteran who's at least, you know, while he may not coddle young guys, he's at least going to show you the right example of this is how you're a professional. Yeah. And, and then you have Mike Miller. Mike Miller, I think, should be back on the team next year if they can get him back. Uh, having him, you know, again to be there for, for Moutier, for Jokic, uh, for Gary Harris, for the incoming rookie or two that they're going to have, yeah. I think it would be worthwhile to keep that guy around based off you know, what I've learned and in, in covering and reading about and hearing about the NBA, I think that the culture of the team is vastly important and would be important in, in a guy like Simmons's case in Denver. Yeah. Um, with Ingram, I, I don't know. You know, we haven't heard as much about his personality. I need to dig some more on that. But just as far as a basketball standpoint with him, I just like his game for the fact that he wants the ball. He wants to take big shots. Yeah. He can create. You know, going to the rim, he's, he has these turnaround shots, and I'm not saying he's like Kevin Durant because I, I don't think he's necessarily like him. He has a, a similar build, you know. He has that same type type of body, just like Barton has the body of Brewer, but they're not the same player. Yeah. I I, I, I like what Ingram might be able to bring to the table as far as a scorer, a guy that's never going to get a shot blocked. I don't think. Yeah. He has a ton of potential to be exactly what the Nuggets could use with Moutier and Jokic being facilitators on the floor. Does his body type worry? No. No? There's so many guys. There's such a deep history of different bodies in the NBA. I I think that stuff is overblown. See, a stiff breeze can blow him over. And I, I, that, that, it doesn't worry me, but that's the, the only, I mean, literally he's got everything else. I, I do think that... I think Durant was skinnier than him in college. I think Durant was like 180 and 185. Yeah, but Durant had better numbers. Yeah, I mean, Durant was... Durant, they're different players. Yeah, they, I'm just and, talking strictly body yeah. type. And, and that, was, that was... You know, it's kind of like Durant was able to get away with his body type because he's Kevin Durant. And sometimes your talent supersedes your deficiencies. My, that's my only question with Ingram, is that will his talent be able to supersede his kind of really rail-thin body type right now? It probably can. It probably can. But that's the only, only question I have on him. Outside of that, he seems to check every box, right? I'm trying to think of skinny players. All right, Reggie Miller, incredible outside shooter. Yes. So like you said, overcame. Durant, same thing. Vastly superior talent. Brewer, you know. <laughs> He had his limitations because of his body type, yeah. you know, and, and whatever else went towards that. I mean, Will Barton is really thin, too. Yeah, and Barton has, has you know, he's looks like he's growing into a guy that can become a, a better-than-average three-point shooter or maybe an average three-point shooter, yeah. and that's a perfect role for him off the bench. I think he makes his body work for him. From what I've seen from Ingram so far, I think he uses his body pretty well. I mean, mm-hmm. he's, he's not a great rebounder, obviously not yet. Um, and, and that may never come, but as a small forward in the NBA, it may not have to for him. If you wanted to play him at power forward in the NBA, which I tend to want to do, I don't know if it would actually work, there you, you get into some trouble because you're going, all right, if you had Jokic and Ingram, how many boards are these guys going to get to? Are they going to get slaughtered on the boards yeah. on the glass every night? I don't know. Well, and, you know, and 
uh, that is the question. I see, like, if he was like Carmelo Anthony and was able to score in a, lot, a bunch of different ways, he could overcome the fact that he doesn't get boards, right? And I think he does. I think he scores in a variety of ways. My, my, Melo was always frustrating because he had the potential of being a good, great rebounder. I just never tried. That was my – I forget the assists. That was always been my biggest complaint with Carmelo Anthony. So if he's able to just be at least respectable, that's really not that big a concern. Uh, Ingram. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it, hopefully he – like I said, hopefully his talent overcomes his deficiencies. What does Gallinari weigh? Gallinari's not the, the biggest guy around. He's two-something. 220 maybe? 225, I think, maybe. Let's look it up real fast. We'll see how, see how much bulk you got on that frame, Gallo. <laughs> he's listed at uh, 6'10", 225. Yeah. So he's got like 25 pounds on Ingram. <laughs> and Gallo is, he looks a lot bigger than he did when he was, you know, earlier in his career. He's, he's, he put on a lot more bulk and muscle, I think. Yeah, he's a lot more uh, broad than he was. But I'm definitely not giving up on a top two pick, which would mean Adam Mares is, is correct in saying the Nuggets need to go 0-7, <laughs> get those percentages up, get the draft pick. That's how you got to get there. Well, I mean, we, we would all, I mean, listen, I would like also to be a millionaire. But, you know, certainly. they got to win the lotto at some point, right? Like, give us those lotto odds at eight. When was the last time eight hit? Uh, who well, else? listen, Cleveland won the lottery Three out of four years. Yeah. Once when they had a, what was it, a minuscule percentage. Orlando Magic won in 1994. God, from deep in the lottery. <laughs> yeah, from like, they had like the least chance. So, I mean, it's, it's happened before. It's yeah. happened before. What about some of these other players? Who else is kind of, I didn't even get to see Chris Dunn play. I missed Providence's uh, tournament game or games, whichever. I, I, I think they won one. I I missed his. Uh, I did get to see Jamal Murray. I like Jamal Murray's game. I think he obviously has the uh, the Kentucky pedigree that people yeah. would like, even though he is Canadian, which at some point in time, Canadians going to take home a gold medal, I think. <laughs> They're going to be good. You know, hey, I, but I liked what I saw of him. Um, that Kentucky team wasn't as good as they have been, um, but he definitely showed out, and I think he had definitely showed that he has next-level next level talent. Yeah, he's he's intriguing to me uh, for Denver, but it, it again comes into that question of you know if the Nuggets some I, they're not in range for Jamal Murray, they're just not going to get him. <laughs> you know, you're either going to get a top three pick where I don't know, maybe if you got three, maybe you take you know maybe you battle between Murray, Dunn, and Heald at the third spot or can Dragon you, Bender. Can you move up to one, two, or three? Yeah. Okay. That's it. One, two, or three. Um, but. You know, Murray's tough because I don't think they'll be in range to be able to get him. I think they'll either be too high or too low, and he's going to be right in the middle. Uh, but I like his game. I think he's going to be a player. Um, and you brought this up, Jeff, before we were talking uh, before the podcast about where would these guys be in the draft last year if, if we mashed mm-hmm. some of this talent into that draft, especially with Simmons and Ingram. It's tough to pick where they would be. They'd be. I think they'd still be top ten, maybe still top five. I mean, top seven for sure. I mean, top five. I mean, you still got. I mean, where did Porzingis go? Four. He's still going. He's still going top five. You know. Does Okafor make people rethink? If if you have these wing players in there, see, you know, and this is the thing. I mean, Okafor was. Uh, you and I talked about this. Okafor was projected before the the season started 
as the number one pick. And he sunk all the way down to three. Yeah. Um, but he still was up there because he was projected as that as that number one pick. I mean, Towns, you still go number one. You know, D'Angelo Russell, yeah, you probably still take number two. Towns is definitely there. And especially because there's, like, no point guards in this draft. I mean, there's Chris Dunn, but he doesn't scream true point guard to me. No. Uh, which isn't a problem, which is well, fine. I, I, but th- th- how many true point guards are there anymore? I mean, yeah, he's probably a, a perfect version of a point guard in today's NBA. He's yeah. huge too, six four two twenty is a point. That's that's pretty big. I um, mean, but the, but the Nuggets don't need another point, do they? No, and then you know if you drafted Chris Dunn, if you're in a position to take him, uh, you'd hope that he's good enough to where you'd play basically three. <laughs> you'd play small ball a lot and play him in a, in a three guard lineup with two big guys named Nurkic and Jokic. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, well. I mean, it's it's. Let's talk about one guy that always is circled for the, around for the Nuggets. Someone that no one, no one knows anything about. His name is Timothy uh, Luawu. Yes. Luawu, where is he on this board? God, he's way down at 20 now. He's down at 20. I think he's getting, this is, I'm looking at NBADraft.net. Uh, none of these boards I don't think are anywhere near accurate yet. So. None of them. Definitely not where I would have Luawu. I'd have Luawu probably around 10. Eight, nine, ten, eleven, somewhere in there. So, say the Nuggets stay at eight, they take Lou Wawu. Will there be pitchforks and torches at uh, Pepsi Center? You know, that, I mean, that's that's a good question because you have some fairly well-known college players in this draft. Would the Nuggets do the quote-unquote Nuggetsy thing and take a, a Euro in the lottery? You know, I mean. They could have done that with Nurkic, and nobody. I wouldn't have batted an eye. I thought he was definitely going to be their pick at eleven, uh, or I, I definitely thought he could have been their pick at eleven, and not blinked an eye at it. Yeah. Would they do that again? I, I don't know. I mean, if you have, you know, Ivan Rab, Jalen Brown, and Timothy Luawu, who do you take? I mean, Jalen Brown, you know, superior size to Luawu as far as as body weight, but mm-hmm. maybe not the range that Luawu has. Um, <laughs> is he going to be better than Axel Tupon? You know, I mean, that's uh, it makes you wonder. I mean, Tupon hasn't exactly been, you know, let's face it, he's 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 been okay. I mean, he's not. He's you don't look at Tupon and think, you know, I think it might be that guy's that guy's, guy's going to replace Gallinari on the roster. I kind of want to. <laughs> is it harder to peg European wings and guards than it is big guys? Is there something like I'm, I've thought about this as far as at least with. <laughs> with, uh, again, going back to, to even freshmen and the jump from high school to college, right? Like when you're in high school, you can dominate based on size easily. You're just some nights, you know, Kobe Bryant's playing center for Lower Marion. It's six six, And then you go to college and all of a sudden you got to go from being a power forward center to a shooting guard. Or maybe even, you know, you're, you're handling the ball a lot as a point guard. Like, those are adjustments that have to be made. I don't know how you project European wing players to come in the NBA. Uh, obviously, Hazonia has done pretty well, if he, especially when given more minutes. He's, he's looked okay at times. Um, Dario Saric is a guy that I'm very curious to see how, when, and if he comes over next season, how he's going to perform. Uh, let me interject for a second. Hazonia is the perfect example that coaching matters in the NBA. I'm sorry, Scott Skiles is the worst coach for rookies. The worst. 
absolutely, I just, ugh. and once he finally started getting minutes, he started looking better, other than that game against the Nuggets where Chris Marlowe mentioned me on air. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> what a frown to your face. <laughs> but, you know, th- that he's an example of coaching matters, especially in these situations where if you're going to have a pick that, you, you know, he was, what, number five? You're going to have to have... You're going to have to have coaching. You're yeah, going to have take, to have I would have taken Ingram over his own last year. You would have taken Ingram over his own? <laughs> well, who went number six? Willie Cauley-Stein? Willie. I'd take Ben Simmons over Willie Cauley-Stein. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, and that's... that's what, about Woody, what about Moutier? What about him? Would you have taken either of those guys over Moutier? I don't know. That'd be tough. It's a tough question because you... I think the Nuggets needed a point guard, but you couldn't have afforded at that time to draft uh, based off a of need. So you would have had to take in whoever you believe to be the most talented. And you know, was it Moutier? Was it Ingram? I don't know. <laughs> Nuggets front office believes in Moutier, so I'm sticking with Moutier. Wait a hedge. I mean, knowing what, knowing what I know now about Moutier, I think I would have taken him because I love his mindset. I love his work ethic. Uh-huh. And, I, you know, we're a little cheated where we've gotten to know him a little bit. So we know, I, I, at least I do, if Moutier doesn't work out, it's not because of anything other than he just couldn't get it done on the court. Yeah. And he's, I mean, fuck, man. I mean, he's, he's scoring 27, 30 points. He's shown the flashes that I've always said I want to see out of rookies. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I would probably, I'd probably ride with Moutier over Ingram, especially when you had Gallo and, and Chandler on the roster. I'll punt on that. <laughs> punt. <laughs> but, I, I mean, in hindsight, who would I have ta- or without hindsight, who would I have taken? It would have been a tough call. Um, well, it's hard. Call. It's hard with these drafts because they're always working on hindsight. That's why I redraft. When people say, well, if you redraft, well, screw that. Yeah. I mean, literally, you go with the information you know at the time. <laughs> so stop with this redraft BS. I mean, that's it's just ins- it's just completely second guessing. Although I would read a chapter or an entire book based on the Nuggets' thought process of taking Nicholas Skeetich Philly, because you had Karan Butler, you had Amare Stoudemire, oh, man. like you had some guys that were definitely more talented. Even Nene, they could have taken him. <laughs> Why the hell did they draft him? I, I would tell love you to read. I, would, I know, but I'd love to read exactly why, how the how it played out, how they found this guy, why they thought he was good. Is it D'Antoni just talking him up? Um, it was it was Mike D'Antoni talk talking him up, and it was basically a fixation on European big guys. The next one, the next Dirk, the next Dirk. They can that, all shoot. Remember, there was that period from about two thousand one to two thousand three, where everyone was obsessed with these European big guys like Dirk. Yeah. Trying to do that, and Skeetish really was fit right into that, and yeah. he was just a colossal bust. But that—that that was the mindset, and it was completely faulty. God, he was horrible. I mean, you don't do it because you're looking for the next Dirk. You do it because he's a good player, and you know they didn't do their homework. I'd also be very interested to know the intel that the Nuggets have on another. Well, he's a shooting guard at, at six seven. If he ever gained any weight, it might be different. Furkin. Corkmaz out of Turkey. You, you know that Rafi Juke has a binder full of information on this guy. You know? Like, you know the international, the Nuggets international guys have watched him. They've watched, obviously, Timothy Luwawu. We know they have, you know? I mean, they're, they're the big European prospects. Nuggets have boots on the ground over there. 
I would love to know, like... Sled name's cracking me up. I know. I mean, there's... <laughs> it's a great name. I would love to know, like, you know, more about those guys because we're so limited in what we can know about international guys. Well, I, I think it's... A, you know, imagine this, though, Nate. It's a lot better than it was. Oh, it's yeah. It's so much better than it was. I don't think even, they saw or hardly any of Skeetish Fields' games. That's what, I'm, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. It's just like... But now you have, you have a bank of guys to compare them to. You yep. have... I mean, there's it's night and day different. It's it's to me, it's different because I don't get to watch their games and you don't get to read all that much about them, and it's harder to find information. For professional basketball teams, it's exactly like scouting college. I think I don't think there's any difference anymore for teams that know what they're doing. Well, it's it's amazing when you consider that the Nuggets took the famous huge bust in '96, you know, with no information, no information. And just praying to God that he was going to be a, the next Dirk. <laughs> they they picked no no in, in the, Dirk they, even around. <laughs> well, they yeah no this was uh, what was it what was his name Ithemios Rentius. Oh yeah, and they picked Rentius. him thinking he was a center and he was a guard. He was a six seven two guard, and and people were but th- think of think about that. I'm sorry, I, I, I saw what you saw there. I have <laughs> no idea what's going on. <laughs> seeing uh, Harrison and. Adam, yeah, Adam tweeting texting us. about uh, D'Angelo <laughs> Russell. I gotta, I gotta, we gotta find, find the story. What, what's going to, on with D'Angelo Russell? I don't know. Maybe we'll take a let's take a short break. Take a short we'll, break. Yeah. Maybe we'll have to talk about D'Angelo because right. I'll tell you what. Wait, are, I, I are love D'Angelo sh- Russell's talent, but the way the Lakers have handled everything this year with him compared to how the Nuggets have handled Moutier, night and day. I'm thankful that I'm not a oh, Lakers yeah. person. Wait, wait, are they talking about D'Angelo the singer? <laughs> yeah, they're definitely talking about him this year. We'll, we'll be right back, and we'll uh, hopefully have something to share on D'Angelo Russell. Man, we're back. Got a sports guys podcast. Yes, G. Ross Martin in Memphis. King of Florida, Jeff Morton here as always. Jesus. Um. So, yeah, D'Angelo Russell, apparently there's a story on ESPN.com from Baxter Holmes and Mark Stein saying that uh, there is a, a video which was believed to have come to light last week via the Twitter account of a celebrity gossip site. I'm going to go ahead and guess TMZ, uh, but I don't know. Shows D'Angelo Russell filming Nick Young while asking questions about Nick Young being with other women. Young got engaged to Australian rapper Iggy Azalea last summer. While it's unclear how the video became public, sources say the resulting tension in the Lakers locker room in recent days was among the factors that contributed to L.A.'s limp showing Salt Lake City on Monday night when they absorbed a 48-point pounding from the Utah Jazz. The loss was the Lakers' worst in franchise history. And then there's some unnamed sources saying different things about what's going on with players isolating him. Uh, Supposedly, Russell came into the locker room and sat down next to Lou Williams. Williams got up and walked away. Who knows if any of that stuff's true. That's uh, all I hear saying. Listen, he's 19. Who's the assistant coach that did that? He tape-recorded Mark Jackson and them? Brian Scalabrini? No, it wasn't Scal. Scal, no, it wasn't got, Scal got in trouble for uh, uh, game situation stuff. It was... Uh, oh, yeah, this other guy. Yeah, he was taping. <laughs> he's working, though. He's back with another team in the league, That's I believe. That's right. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, but, I mean, this is locker room chatter of the secret kind that if anyone's friend had done this, you would never trust that friend again let alone a teammate which you're not as closely bonded with. Wow, that's I mean that's insane. That's absolutely insane. Well, the fact that I mean, well, like I said, he's 19, but I keep thinking, what 
the hell motivation is do you have with recording that? Uh, I don't know if you read this story. There was one a couple of weeks, if not a month ago or so, that, that talked about D'Angelo Russell, um, where the reporter had gotten a quote from D'Angelo saying that he hated talking to the media. And when he was interviewing Russell, they were sitting, I think, at half court at like one of those scores tables, and, you know, like the buzzer for and like the practice gym at the Pepsi Center when that yeah. damn buzzer goes uh, off. Yeah. And they said that he hit that like, I don't know what it was, like over 10 times during the interview, just kept hitting that button like over and over and having, making it in the arena just going. Bah, bah. Like there's a, a certain amount of immaturity that Russell is going through right yeah. now. But if this stuff is true, who knows, you know, I guess there is video of it on uh, online of, of his video. How it got out, I'm sure he can claim that his phone was hacked, as, as many celebrities are known to do. But, boy, I don't know. I mean, there's been stuff that goes on with players that gets passed around to other players that kind of taints their image throughout the league. And this, I think, probably does that for old D'Angelo that's, Russell. That's going against a lot of guy code. Right there. Guy code and Person trust. Code, friend code. Teammate trust. I mean, that is... That's horrible. That's bad. That is, I, I could never see Moutier doing something like that in a million years. He's just not that kind of person. That is insane. Maybe D'Angelo likes Iggy Azalea. Trying to get him to break up so we can swoop in there, swoop off her feet. I mean, I'm <laughs> sure there's a there's a market for bad rappers out there. And, and it's sure, but I I I, <laughs> I just I that is just I can't fathom. The motivation behind it. I don't see how if I can't, he can't, is this practical joker, where's the practical joke? There's no practical joke in that. Like that. <laughs> it's basically filming someone and then put, leaking that shit to the internet. Yeah, and if you didn't know he was being filmed, I don't know what uh, wherever they were, if it was in California where this happened or if it was on the road. Um, but, I mean, there's laws against taping someone when they don't know they've been taped. I don't know if... California is a two-party consent or a one-party consent, but that's, that's <laughs> very interesting. I mean, then and apparently D'Angelo Russell said, "Thanks for saying that to my video, man." And then Nick Nick Young <laughs> says, "What?" And you can see him looking up at the video before it cuts off. Before it cuts off. I'm gonna have to find this video. I mean, apparently uh, our uh, friend uh, Harrison Wind has seen it. Uh, yeah, and you know, I mean, this is kind of the uh, the dirty side of of any kind of gossip where. You want to see it, but you don't really know why. Well, you probably shouldn't. That's that's. I mean, <laughs> you know, Nuggets fans, if you're listening to this, be thankful that you don't have that kind of crap going around on your team. Last year, I could see could that happen. happen. <laughs> <laughs> I could see it happening with assistant coaches on that squad last year, um, but it didn't. Yeah. And thank God, because that would have been a different kind of set of issues we've had to deal with. I mean, just, yeah, but, I mean, just everything surrounding the Lakers and, all right, so if we get back to, to, to relate this to draft talk. <laughs> to bring this should, horse back into the Why spot. should a team that's, I think they're 15 and 59, uh, they're hired an awful coach, so they'd be awful. They're playing Kobe, these, you know, his farewell tour, all this crap. Why should the Lakers be rewarded with Ben Simmons, D'Angelo Russell, Jamal Murray, Buddy Heald, whoever, you know, why should they have a higher percentage of getting rewarded with a player when the Nuggets, who are trying to win games, playing young guys uh, the right way, mixing in, you know, doing things the right way, where the Lakers are doing things the wrong way, shouldn't the Nuggets have better odds? 
I mean, I'm not saying better odds than the Lakers, but shouldn't they have better odds than like 6% versus the Lakers? I don't even know what it would be, 20% or whatever. Well, numbers Crap. numbers don't have moral rights or wrongs, you know. Am I arguing this just because <laughs> the Nuggets don't have the better odds? Yes. <laughs> you are completely, that is exactly what's going on. And, you know. It, Am I still bitter because the Nuggets had, you know, 17 wins tied with the Cavs and got the third pick in that draft? It still makes me bitter. <laughs> they lost a coin flip, too. They lost yeah. a coin flip for slightly less odds that year. That's ugh. Like the Lakers have, as of now, a 55.8% chance at a top three pick, 19% at number one overall. The Nuggets right now, based off the Knicks pick, 9% at top three, 2% at number one. Like the Lakers have done everything wrong. I think that they should bring those odds. They should be a little more even throughout the 14 non-playoff teams. I, I agree. Unless the Nuggets but the, have a really bad record, then they should be heavily skewed towards it. As, as I said, you know, numbers don't have morals, you know. And it's just it's one of those things. Now, if you believe the NBA and they don't have, you know, a hand in, <laughs> a hand in the numbers, then <laughs> obviously then that's the thing. And if they do have a hand in the numbers, then there's the morals <laughs> bottom, okay? <laughs> Who's, who knows about this insurance company that's doing yes. these freaking lottos? <laughs> Uh, what, are you, what are your thoughts, if they changed it all from when we talked about it last week a bit with, with Yurkic and Nokic? Yurkic? Yurkic. Nurkic? Yurkic. I never thought I'd mess these. I'm, it pisses me off when people screw their names up, and I've just butchered them for like yeah, a month I mean, straight. Sandy <laughs> said Yurkic about five times last week. Yurkic. He's a great player. <laughs> he said he Yurkic, and I didn't, you know, I didn't want to correct him. Because he because he helped us uh, with our numbers last week, but <laughs> How about Nurkic and Jokic, would you want to see? Uh, do you want to see more of them the next seven? Yeah, I mean, I, th- one thing that we've seen is when uh, Nurkic is engaged and in and on, uh, he's a defensive force. Is there any difference between having Yusuf on the floor and having Kenneth Farid on the floor with Jokic? Yes, they're a better defensive team just with Nurkic. So shouldn't they try to play those two guys together to see if the results wind up being better than Fareed and Jokic? This is my thing. People are obsessed with spacing. It's just fine the way the NBA is gone. Don't you have space with Jokic? the, The thing is, it's like the problem isn't spacing. The problem is... Spacing. Jokic. Jokic. See what you got I, hope th- I hope they draft somebody. Uh, Jokic. <laughs> uh, Jokic had trouble getting out to the stretch four, which was... Uh, Doesn't Fareed have trouble with Chandler, stretch fours? Which was, what's his name? Channing Chan- Fry. Channing Fry, thank you. I was going to say Chandler Parsons. Um, Haven't we seen Fareed ignore stretch fours for his entire career? We have. Didn't LaMarcus Aldridge set a career high against the Nuggets and Kenneth Fareed? And he's not even a stretch four. <laughs> doesn't, doesn't Kevin Love routinely play well? I mean, if the, if if we're saying that the the Twin Towers lineup isn't good defensively, we have to say that defensively, Fareed and Jokic are no better. It's yeah. worth looking at, right? I think. Well, this is where I agree with Adam Mares. Mares. Adam Mares. He, I would want to see the the Yurkic and Nurk. <laughs> Please draft Yurkic. Please. God. 
Jokic, Nurkic, Jerkic. I would have got these names correct if you hadn't brought that up either. Okay, I would. I would use like, first names. I would like to see Yusuf and Nikola together, or Yuka and Big Honey. Yeah, together in the same uh, lineup more extensively than they do. Um, Big Honey's money. Big Honey is money, and, I, and quite frankly, I'm Michael. I would like to see Michael Malone, the Nuggets coach, dictate to rather than be dictated to. I want to see him. Say, all right, I'm going to take this big lineup yeah. and I'm going to shove it down your throat. Right. Like you hear him say so often when, when we badger him with these questions about these two guys. Well, you know, the league's playing so much small ball now and small ball. All right. Well, what if you don't play small ball? What if you play bigger? You know, what if you, you know, to me, you'd have to be, they'd have to find a real chemistry on offense or on defense. And, you know, you'd have to have the advantage on one end of the floor or the other. And if it's not going to be on defense because Jokic is going to have trouble with power forwards for a while until he gains more experience in that department, you have to light it up on offense. And can they do that? I mean, right now, obviously, they had that one small sample size. If they really want to commit to seeing that, you know, throw them out there for the next seven games, but also throw them out there together in the next eight, nine, ten, eleven practices you're going to have as well. Yeah, we, we got to see it. We got to see it. You can't do what, like, remember when Josh McDaniels was the coach of the Broncos and he put Peyton Hillis out there for a run and he, like, went into the line and he got, like, negative one yard and he said, see, put him out there, confirmation bias, can't have him out there again. Right. I don't want to see that again. I, I hate confirmation bias. You need to be able to stick to something and work with it because what they have both demonstrated, despite, you know, certain people protesting to the contrary, what they have both shown this year is that they are good at certain aspects that need to be on the floor, right? Nurkic's defense, right? Nurkic's defense plus, I think on offense, Jokic's ability to play on the perimeter. You know, and, and again, you don't have to just stick Jokic on the perimeter. Nurkic can play out of the high post. He did so last year on a number of occasions. And actually got me excited about his possibilities as a passer. I even asked him in the locker room last year, you know, like, how, how do you become a good passer or how do you have this vision? And he just said, you know, you either have it or you don't, which is duh. I mean, that's that's <laughs> what it is. And and, and I, I think Yuka is an underrated passer and an underrated guy that can play away from the basket. You know, so I think you can interchange those guys. Plus, they don't have to play, you know, you don't, you're not asking them to play 30 minutes on the court together. Yeah. If it's 15, if it's, you know, but you want your best players all on the court together, right? And You and, want your best players out there. And you, if Nurkic has yeah. shown us anything in the time that he's played, he's a dominant player. Yes. And can be a dominant player. And Single-handedly improves the Nuggets' defense when he's out there. And completely By makes himself. guys afraid <laughs> to drive. I mean, he put LeBron on his ass. Yes. LeBron bounced off of him like a damn ball. And LeBron is one of a physical specimen. Yes. <laughs> and he bounced off Nurkic like... Like it was Nurkic nothing. was like, what was that, a stiff breeze? Yeah. You know? And it, it's just... And, and it helps that he is looks like he's in better shape now. He looks like he is, you know, got, got past whatever knee issues he was having. Um, he's having a nice late-season renaissance like Gallo had last year. Um, I mean, he's had a little, a, little bit, a little bit of illness going on. Apparently, he was playing with a fever in the last game he played. Yeah, so. it's it the flu game. Yeah. He had his career high, just like Jordan did once upon a time. 18 <laughs> against the Clippers. 
And he was yakking. He was yakking against the uh, with the bench, the Clippers bench, yeah. is what he's want to do. So, but you know, listen, I, I agree completely. They're going to have to find a way just so they could see. This isn't. This isn't like. This is the last seven games of the, of the season. Invest yourself in, say, ten minutes. And it's so hard to like. You know, you know fans. We want to see it. Malone, for whatever reason, hasn't seemed to think that it's a priority. So it's it's hard to you know, shit. We've asked him, about, you know, you can only do so much as as, as media as of asking a this question of why you want to see it. This is true. And Malone saying, eh, whatever, you know. So I mean, will we see it? Shit, everybody wants to. We've been talking about it all year. All the fans have been talking about it all year. You know, will Malone actually do it? I mean, that's the part where you're, you know, banging your head against the wall a little bit there. Well, it's, it, I mean, it's coach's prerogative, and um, he may want to wait till next year to unleash the um, Jerkic lineup. <laughs> the old Jerkic lineup. <laughs> I was calling the uh, Adriatic Sea lineup. Adriatic, yes. Adriatic Seas. The. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get out of here. We've had enough fun. Hopefully the Nuggets are going to draft uh, Brandon Ingram. What say you, Jeff? And uh, uh, they'll, they'll, I don't know. They'll probably draft uh, Tim- Timothy Lubabu. <laughs> um, also, D'Angelo, if you're uh, listening, um, don't tape us. Or do, because this we, is actually being taped right well, now. <laughs> <laughs> we won't trust you. If you're, okay. All right, let's get out of here. We'll see you guys next week. Bye. Bye.